So really, who was he? Was he just a good teacher? Was he a moralist? Um, Was he just this therapist in the sky for all of us? Or was he a crazed liar? Was he really a polygamist who was the half-brother of Lucifer? I mean, all kinds of things have been said about Jesus for for centuries, right? I mean, the, the story goes on and on and on and on. And people have all kinds of things to say. And so what I would like to do, and I think it would be very appropriate for us, is I would like to go back and find out what Jesus had to say about Jesus, about what he had to say about himself. Wouldn't that make sense? And let's just let Jesus speak for Jesus. And, and so if you were to trace back and, and figure out his story, you would see that his story was primarily recorded in the works of four different men who wrote four different books. Each of these books bear the name of the author. The books are called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you were to go back, you would see that these men, these four men, have really been at the center of the Jesus story from day one. I mean, really at the center of it all. And I get it. If, uh, if, if, we, if, if you're skeptical at all, if you're like sitting here and you're going, I am not so sure I believe in this whole God thing or what I think about Christianity or the Bible and let alone Jesus himself, I'm just not so sure. The last thing you want to hear are proofs about God from the Bible or about Jesus from the Bible, right? Am I right? I mean, that doesn't make sense to go that route. But what I'd like to do is I just kind of want to set the page and I want to set the story for us a little bit. Um, Now, there are lots and lots of reasons why I personally believe the Bible is true. Lots of reasons. And and not only me, but there are lots of reasons why by Christians the world over believe that the Bible is true. We believe it with all of our hearts. And, and, and there are tons of messages even that we've given, entire series that we've given here, and there are books, all kinds of books all over the world that have been written about why Christians believe this. Uh, but we don't have time to get into all of that, but I do want to kind of set the platform. I want to set it, you know, the record for us a little bit because these four men were at the very center of the Jesus controversy from day one. They were at the center of the story of Jesus from day one. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at this, you would see Matthew and John were amongst the, amongst the very first followers of Christ. They were inside lookers at virtually every part of his public ministry. And it wasn't long after that that Mark and, and Luke come on the scene and they partner with some of the other followers of Jesus. And, and so these four men essentially have this inside look at the events and the stories and the life and, and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and, and the Christian church that explodes on the scene just shortly after his birth. These guys were at the center of it all. They weren't the only writers, we're gonna see that, that's talked about Jesus in history, but they are, at the, they are some of the primary writers. And, and so it's true that you can go, well, well, what if these men were just liars? I mean, how can you take the Bible as proof for the Bible? How can you take these guys as that? I get it. You're right, there are people who would willingly lie in order to gain some sort of, um, some sort of you know, profit from, from religion, right? Because let's be honest, religion, especially if, if you're at the ground floor of it, can be big bucks. It can be big money for people, no doubt about it. So there are you know, people who would say, well, we can't trust these four guys, even if they were there from the very beginning. We can't, we can't trust them because, because of the potential personal gain that they might have at stake here because you know, who wouldn't want all of these followers? Who wouldn't want all of this prestige? Who wouldn't want all of this money? Who wouldn't want all of this fame and adoring fans the world over? And that would be true if that were the case. But it's not the case at all. One of the things that we learn about these four men 
and almost everybody, almost everybody who were the early followers of Jesus, they did not live in any sort of lap of luxury. As a matter of fact, we learned that these four men were treated as common criminals in their day, that they lived their life on the run. They lived under a persecuted state and eventually, now get this, friends, this is huge. These men who wrote the stories down, who saw and experienced parts of the life of Jesus and they wrote it down for us, these men eventually gave up their life because of their faith and trust in Jesus. And friends, this is big. This is big because you, you probably have heard this before that, that people are willing to die for what they believe is true, but nobody is willing to die for a lie. People don't die for something that they know is a lie. People don't die for something that they know is simply not the truth. But these men, they believed they believed with all of their hearts that the things that they wrote to us were true. Even, I want you to think about this, even to the point of giving up their life for it. No fame, no fortune, no prosperity as a result. They gave it all up because they believed it to be true. And so that's sort of the baseline we're going to go after. There's going to be some assumption made that, that, that these, these four books that bear these writers' names, that they were gathered into this, this collection of book that, books that we now know as the New Testament, and the New Testament was gathered into another greater collection of books called the Old Testament and the New Testament together, which we now call the, the Bible, right? And so these books stand at the center of everything Jesus. And so there's sort of the, uh, the platform we're gonna work off of. Are we all on the same page? Are we on the same page with that? Okay, so what did Jesus say about himself? Because that's what we wanna go after. We wanna cut through all the other stuff that's been said about him from all kinds of people, from all stages and walks of life throughout human history. And we really wanna find out what did Jesus say about Jesus? And, and the first thing, if you were to be taking notes, you probably want to write this one down because this one is very, very obvious and it comes right all the way from the beginning to the end of his life. He said, Jesus said, listen, Jesus came down from heaven. This is what Jesus said. Jesus says, I have come from heaven. Now, most of us have heard about these stories of, of seeing into the afterlife. Anybody ever you know, talk, hear these like, stories of the near-death experiences? You know, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, they're very, very famous. I mean, all kinds of people, even celebrities have said that they've had near-death experiences experiences like uh, Sharon Stone, for example, Chevy Chase. Chase, I mean, come on, Chevy Chase claims to have had this near-death experience. Burt Reynolds, for crying out loud. George Lucas, all of these guys, all of these guys have claimed to have some sort of near-death experience where they saw into heaven, where they were taken into heaven. I think one of my favorites, though, is, is I don't know if you know this, but Ozzy Osbourne has claimed to have taken a trip into heaven. Did, this is true. I mean, this is really true. Uh, and I like how he describes it. It's pretty interesting. He says it like this. This is a quote from Ozzy Osbourne. He says, I, I've, I've taken this trip into heaven, and what I saw was a white light shining through utter darkness, but there were no, quote, effing angels, no one blowing trumpets, and, and no man standing there in a white beard and a white robe. Now, I don't doubt that Ozzy took a trip. I just don't think it was a trip into heaven, if you know what I mean, right? Um, the Muslim prophet Muhammad, do you know that he claimed to take a trip into heaven? 
He, he claims that he had this experience where he sort of died and that he was escorted by the archangel Gabriel into heaven and was literally taken into the throne room of God himself. And it was in this throne room that Muhammad claims to have met um, some of the major characters in, in the Bible that we know. This is where he claims to have met Adam and Abraham and Moses. As a matter of fact, about Moses, this is very interesting to me. He says he meets all these others, but with Moses, he said he had an extended chat with Moses. Interesting, right? But he says in this throne room of heaven, he says he meets God himself. And it was in this throne room that God himself, who he calls Allah in Arabic, he, he, says, he says that Allah told me to tell all of his followers to pray, not once a day, not twice a day, not always as Christians are told, but to pray five times a day. And so Muhammad comes supposedly back into earth and has uh, all of his followers there. And he says, we are now going to pray five times a day. But unlike Muhammad, who had this claim of this near-death experience that brought him to heaven, Jesus makes uh, a more audacious claim, a bigger claim, a crazier claim. Jesus doesn't say, I peeked into heaven. Jesus doesn't say, I sort of died and went to heaven. Jesus actually claims something that no one else has claimed, that I have come from heaven. Jesus claimed that the whole Christian faith is centered around this understanding that, that Jesus had left his eternal throne room, his eternal home with his heavenly father in heaven, that he came and made his dwelling among us, that he left heaven to be here with us, to become a man to, to serve humanity, to, to engage humanity in a whole different way that he claims that God was made flesh. It's totally different. It's totally different than having a, a glimpse into heaven. But he left heaven to come here. As a matter of fact, this is how it's recorded in John's book, chapter six. Very interesting to me. Jesus speaking, and it sounds kind of crazy when you read this. It says, for I have come down from where? From heaven. He says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who what? Who sent me. Who sent me. Now, that's a little bit crazy. And for those who first heard this, they thought it was crazy. They were like, what? What? I mean, they literally thought he was crazy. And they start talking to him. They're like going, you say you've come from heaven to do the will of God, but, but aren't you the son of a carpenter? They, they say, don't we know your father? Doesn't your father have this little carpentry type of business? Joe, Joe, Joseph's carpentry, Joseph's remodeling, Joseph's something. Don't we know, don't we know your brothers? And don't you come from a little town just outside of town called Bethlehem? And didn't you guys move to Galilee? And what are we missing here? And it says that the people hear this from Jesus and they're upset by this. They're angered by this. Look at this. Look at this. This is what it says. It says, at this, some of the Jews there began to what? Grumble about him because he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Listen, friends, this is a huge claim for Jesus to make because no other founder of a world religion has ever claimed to come from heaven to earth. All other founders of world religions have claimed to somehow go from earth to see into heaven. And it's distinctly different with the Christian faith. Because this tells us something about the Christian faith. A little side note here. This tells us that God wanted to be with us. 
That God wanted to know us and to do life with us. And Jesus came to make that true so that we could connect with God in a whole different way, that we don't have to long to go to heaven. We don't have to long to see into heaven, that we can have heaven brought to us in the name of Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? And so Jesus, as a matter of fact, he's speaking one time and he's talking about this idea that he doesn't, he, he's not from this place. As a matter of fact, he says it later in John's work, uh, chapter 14, he says it like this. He goes, my father's house has many rooms. He begins to paint this picture of a place that he's been to. He says, my father's house uh, has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? He's like, come on. I'm from there. I'm not from this place. I come from a whole different place with a whole different message about a whole different kingdom. About a whole different kingdom. And he says, don't miss this. He's saying, I am not from here. And so Jesus claims not to have gone from here into heaven, but from heaven into here. It's interesting, isn't it? And, and, and not only that, Jesus said, and you may want to write this down as a second main point. He says this, Jesus said that he was more than just a good man. He was more than just a good man. Over the years, I've gotten the privilege to speak to literally hundreds of skeptics and doubters and people who just aren't really sure. And, and it's really interesting. One of the things that everybody seems to agree upon is that, uh, is that Jesus was good, was Jesus was good. Even people who say, I don't believe, I don't want to follow him, I'm not a Christian. Almost every one of them says, you know what? If the practices of Jesus were practiced among us, the world would be better. And wouldn't you agree? I mean, listen, most of us would say, even if you don't believe, even if you don't follow, even if you don't claim the name of Christ, most people would say, you know that stuff about love and forgiveness and helping one another and praying for one another and encouraging... I think the world would be better if it were like that. So most people that I've ever met have said that Jesus is at least good. He's good. But what's interesting is Jesus um, never wanted us just to think that he was just good, but that he was more than good. As a matter of fact, there is a story that comes from Mark's work that, that talks about this exact issue. It's very, very interesting. It's Mark 14, starting in verse 17. It says, as Jesus uh, started on his way, a man ran up to him and he fell on his knees before him. So you see this picture. Jesus is like, hey, see y'all later. And he gets going out of town. And all of a sudden, this dude comes running and goes, whoa, 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 Jesus, I got to say something to you. He goes, he, he says these words. He goes, good teacher. He calls Jesus a good teacher. And then he asks this question. This is a big question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be right with God? And then Jesus takes it in a whole different direction. It's like he doesn't even answer the question. It's very interesting. Jesus says, huh, what did you just call me? A uh, good teacher. Why did you call me a good teacher? Why did you call me that? He says, for no one is good except who? Except God. Except for God. The man likely thought he was paying Jesus honor by calling him good teacher, but Jesus replied that since everyone is a sinner, there is no such thing as a good person. No, not one. That all of us, me, you, everybody, sins. And what Jesus was doing here was he was saying, I'm not in that category. There's no one good except for God. And that's who you're speaking to. 
And you go, well, that's a little unclear. No, 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 it's not clear because, or it's not unclear because if you were to read through the rest of the story, you would see immediately that everybody around, all these religious people, all of these people who are asking these questions and looking at trying to figure out who this Jesus was, they all immediately knew that he claimed to be God because what they do, they pick up stones ready to kill him because they say, you blasphemy. You are calling yourself good like God. You are equating yourself to be like God. And this starts the whole process of the religious and the ruling class of his day trying to kill him and trying to take his life. They literally start to come after him. Now listen to me, friends. This fact of Jesus' uniqueness as as more than just a spiritual, uh, a good spiritual man is incredibly important to us. He is more than just a good teacher. He's more than just a good moralist. Perhaps uh, the legendary Billy Graham says it best. This is how Billy says it. He says, Jesus was not just another great religious teacher, nor was he only another in a long line of individuals seeking after spiritual truth. He says, no, 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 no. He says, he was, Jesus was instead, listen to this, truth himself or itself. He was truth itself, amen? Anybody hear me? He is truth itself. He was God incarnate. And I'll just let that settle in on you for a moment. I'll just let that sit on you for a moment. You take that in. You think about that. He wasn't just good. He he just wasn't a good moralist, a good teacher. He makes this claim that he is equivalent to God. Equivalent to God. And this really leads us to the next thought about Jesus. Something that gives us a lot of information about who he was. Jesus was a miracle performer. Jesus performed miracles. You may want to write that down or take a picture of that. Jesus performed miracle and, and, and miracles. And this is where it gets all up and crazy for people. I get it. Like right now, some of y'all are going, right there is why I don't like preachers. Right there. I mean, that's just crazy talk. And let me tell you something. This stands in stark opposition to the thought of today, both in the scientific and the philosophical community, because they, they think in, there, there's no way that miracles can happen. Because science proves that they don't happen. Science tells us, philosophy tells us that they just simply cannot happen, right? And, and so what happens consequently is that so many people, including, including church people, including church people, ignore the miraculous supernatural uh, of, of Jesus. This is supernatural um, characteristics of Jesus. We, we often minimize these things when we're reading from God's word or from the Bible, Right? Um, but, but we need to understand something here. This is so huge. The miraculous, the supernatural, these perform, this performing of miracles was, was at the very center of why the early people followed Christ. This was why those four men grabbed attention to Jesus, or their attention was grabbed by Jesus, right? And, and it makes sense because a lot of people can give speeches. And a lot of people can say a whole bunch of good things and you can sit in the back and go, wow, that guy's really good. And then you can walk out and get donuts. And you can think, that was nice. But when a guy makes a lame person, a crippled person walk in front of your eyes, you kind of go, do that again, right? All right, because you can hear a lot of things from a lot of really good people, but when somebody, even if you are a skeptic, even if you're here and you're a skeptic, just think for a moment, just pretend, go back. These guys are recording what they saw. And just go back for a moment, even if you are a skeptic, which these guys were. Luke was a major skeptic before he became a follower of Jesus. And he's looking at this, but when a guy comes walking on water towards you, you're no longer arguing with that guy. You're saying, Whatever you say is okay with me. 
Everything radically changes in this moment. Now, I want you to listen to this, friends. This is so important. This is so important. Even Jesus himself got exasperated with people around him because he was doing these things, these things, and, and performing these miracles. And people were like, yeah, that was like a trick. Yeah, I'm not really sure. And so Jesus says it like this. This is very, very interesting. John chapter 10, uh, verse 36, it says it like this. He, he says, so what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own? So he's like, hello, let's cut through the noise a little bit. What about the one, the one that God himself set apart as his own uh, and sent into this world? When, 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 why, why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? In other words, calling myself God because I said I am God's son. He's like, why do you, why, why do you think that's weird? Pause. I think it's weird if you go around calling people, like telling people you're God's son, unless you can turn water into wine unless you can walk on water. And he's gonna make this point. He goes, why do you think it's weird? You think it's weird, but I'm showing you stuff that nobody else can do. So listen, he's, he's, he's exasperated and he says, um, do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, at least believe the work. In other words, you may not believe what I'm saying, but you see what I'm doing. So in the very least, stop arguing with what I'm doing because until you can take a blind man and do a little this and a little that and, do, and make that guy see, you have no right to argue with me. He says, don't you get it? He says, if you don't believe my word to you, believe how the Father in heaven is confirming my word to you. He says, but if I do not them, uh, but if I do do them, even though you do not believe, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is where? Is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they try to what? Seize him, and to, but he escaped their grasp. They hear this, and they go, yeah, but we still don't like it. And they try to come after him, right? Because why? Their entire religious and political system was being upended. And now listen, friends, if you were to go through the pages of Scripture, there's ample evidence that Jesus did... Um, uh, did these miraculous things. And again, you can be going, well, that's sort of the Bible proving the Bible and that just doesn't work for me. I get it, I get it. But don't you understand? This is why the very people who started this whole thing ran after him. They were like, yeah, we don't get this either. We don't believe this either, but whoa! What, 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 did, you, did you just see that? And it changed everything. It, it, it literally uh, changed everything. in the church, the Christian community, the faith followers of Jesus exploded on the scene because it wasn't just his words, it was what he did. And these men, they wrote about what he did and they, even to their very life being taken, said, you can say whatever you want, but I know what I saw and you ain't changing it. Off with the head. So we're not backing down. Now, I don't know if you know this, but outside of, of the pages of the Bible, do you know that other writers speak about Jesus' miraculous power? I don't know if you've ever noticed this or known this, but it, it, it's true. In history, uh, there's this thing called the Talmud, and it's the contemporary writings that lasted for hundreds of years for the, for the Jewish people, and it was the rabbis of, of the day looking at the, the culture of Israel and looking at the religious practices of the people of Israel, and Jesus is mentioned in the Talmud of his time. Very interesting. And you know what they said about Jesus? This is what they said. Quote, that Jesus practiced magic. So these weren't believers. They were Jewish people who were denying that the Messiah had come. And they're looking at this and they go, yeah, 
yeah, he, he brought that guy back to life. But that's magic. That's magic. As a matter of fact, when they were looking for an excuse to arrest Jesus, this was one of the things that was written in history as to one of the reasons why they arrested him. Because he was a practicer of magic, and magic was illegal. It broke the law. And so they arrested him for doing miracles. Interesting, isn't it? And it's not just the Jewish people. There's a, a Roman historian named Celsus who was a contemporary of Jesus and, and he wrote uh, in very outspoken terms against the Christian faith and he too writes the same thing that, quote, Jesus was a practicer of magic among the people. In other words, like, we don't know what's going on with him. That's magic. That's magic. But something is going on. And what do we, we know? Because we read the rest of the story, we know that this was God confirming the words of Jesus through miracle. Do you understand? And, and so there's another man, very famous historian. His name is Flavius Josephus. Flavius Josephus. And uh, he was a, uh, a Roman Jewish person who wrote about the history of his day. And he was watching this growth of the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and then the subsequent church that arose. In around 50, 55 AD, he writes these words about Jesus. I find this very fascinating. He says, he says that Jesus was, quote, a doer of wonderful works. And then a little bit later, he writes that these wonderful, miraculous works almost persuade me to follow Jesus. Almost. Pause for a second. I'm not so sure what it would take to persuade you, but if a guy comes walking on water, I am persuaded. Right? So there's some very hard hearts. Very hard hearts. And, and so this is, again, why some of the earliest followers of Jesus followed him. It's because they saw this and they're like, I don't know where he gets it from. I don't know what is happening here. And, and what's interesting is some of the people were saying, this is from demons. Now I'm going like, you're doing only good things with these miracle powers, these magic powers, right? And I would be going, hmm, I don't know if they're from demons. I think maybe they're from God. And the early followers of Jesus said, this is from God. And they were willing to run after this with their whole life because they saw it with their own eyes. So what else did Jesus say? Jesus says, I'm a, I'm a worker of miracles. Take it or leave it. This is what I do. And then... He also says this, and this will be the last thing we're going to land on. Um, Jesus says something that is at the center of all the controversy in human history around him. He simply says that he is God. That he is God made flesh. And this is the divider, right? But Jesus clearly, empathetically, and repeatedly declared that he was God. Now what's interesting is many people throughout history have, have ascribed this idea that, that Christians made this up that Christians uh, just kind of propagated this idea that, that Jesus never wanted to be God. He never claimed to be God. Uh, as a matter of fact, Thomas Jefferson, uh, he said that, uh, that Jesus never meant to propagate this hoax of him being the son of God on humanity. Now, I'm a huge Thomas Jefferson fan, but he was crazy when it came to this. Because if you read anything from Jesus, you would see that that's simply not the case. He wanted it to be abundantly clear who he was. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting story. Again, from the, uh, Mark's record, it says this in Mark 14, starting in verse uh, 60, it says this. Mark 14, verse 60, it says, then the high priest, now listen to this. This is so fascinating to me. Then the high priest stood up. So they had arrested Jesus. They brought Jesus in for questioning. And, and it says the high priest stood up before the others and asked, Jesus. Now he's talking to Jesus. This guy sees it up and he's looking at Jesus and he asks him this question. He goes, 
well, aren't you going to answer all of these charges? Pause. What were all the charges? The charges were, he's doing miracles. He is, he's, uh, he's the black magic kind of a guy. He's got these magic power things going. And then he's claiming to be God and God's son and God's made flesh. We got to get rid of this guy. So those were the charges. And the high priest stands up and says, what do you say to all these charges? What do you have to answer for yourself? Verse 61, very interesting. Jesus is like, I've already told you like 19 times. You're like worse than kids, right? You don't even listen. What's going on? I've told you. And so it says, Jesus remained what? Silent. And he made no reply. But the high priest persisted. He kept asking. He kept asking, are you, listen, are you the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the chosen one of God, the Son of God, came to be made flesh, making his dwelling? Is this you? Is this you? Are you the Son of the Blessed One? Are you the son of the most high God? And to this, Jesus kind of goes, I don't know what happened. Something flips and he just says, yeah, I am. I am. And you will see the son of man. That's what Jesus called himself. You will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand. And you will see him coming one day in the clouds from heaven. You'll see him. It's going to happen. Yep, I am who you say I am. And then listen to the high priest's reaction. It says that the high priest tore his clothes and, and he, uh, to show his horror. And then he says, why do we need any other witnesses? We got what we were looking for. You have all heard his, what's this word? Blasphemy. In other words, you've all heard him claim to be God made flesh. And then he says, so what is your decision? What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. They all knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They, were, they, they knew that he was equating himself with God because Jesus went on to say things like this. This is crazy talk, but he would say things like, if you've seen me, you have seen your father in heaven. If you've heard me, you have heard your father in heaven. If you follow me and do what I need you to do, then you are doing the will of God himself. He said this, he goes, I and the father are one. I and the father are one. And so Jesus makes these incredibly audacious claims. Uh, and, and this is... The reaction of the, of the leaders of his day, they, they, they say he needs to die. He's going to change everything with this kind of talk. And he's got the miracle powers to seem to back it up. As a matter of fact, there's this other situation that's incredible. There's a, there's these Pharisees had arrested Jesus and they were closing in on him and they, and they wanted, uh, they, were, they literally were calling him a demon-possessed person because of these miracles that he was doing. So the miracle thing, nobody seemed to doubt it. Everybody, like they arrested the guy and said, you are possessed by a demon because of the miracles that you're doing. And, and it's very interesting. In John 8, there's a story where they say, tell us who you are and what you are. Tell us. And Jesus answered, Listen to this. This is an amazing little thing. Jesus says, if I was doing this for myself, if I wanted all the glory for myself, it wouldn't count for anything. It doesn't count. In other words, if I was just some cult leader, savior wannabe, trying to get all the stuff and all the money and all the people and all the women and all this following me, he goes, it would be worthless. But he goes, you know that's not true. You know that I've never taken anything for myself. You know that I work among the poorest of the poor. You know that I go and I reach toward the lost, the helpless, the sinner, the perverted, the rejected of our society. He goes, what are you talking about? None of this is for me. None of this. And then he says this. This is amazing. He says, but it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God. Now listen to this. This is very sassy. Jesus is like talking to the religious leader and goes, you say, you, you religious people, he is our God, but you don't even know him. Little side note, Jesus had guts, 
right? End of discussion there. And then he says this. He says, you don't even know him, but I know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be a great, uh, a great liar as you are. But I do know him and I obey him. And he goes, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it coming and was what? Glad. Now, this is kind of a weird turn. He's like, you're, you're kind of going, but wasn't Abraham like 2,000 years earlier? Yep. And Jesus says something here. He says, Abraham, 2,000 years ago, saw my coming. And then the people, these religious people, they responded like this. They go, the people said, well, wait, 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 you are, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say that you have seen Abraham? And they were totally missing his point. Jesus was saying, listen, Abraham knew that God was going to send a Messiah. Abraham knew that God was going to send a Savior, and I'm here. He saw me coming. Don't you get it? Now listen to this. This is amazing. Verse 48, or 58. He says, Jesus answered, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was ever born, listen to this. Before Abraham was ever born, I am. I am. Now, I want, I want you to track with me. He, he says, at that point, the, 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 John records this, that at that point, they picked up stones in order to, what, throw at him, to kill him, but Jesus escaped. He was hidden, and he left the temple area. Did, did you catch this? There's really two things going on. Number one, he makes this statement that says, I am eternal. And only God is eternal. Before Abraham, I was. I am. But more than that, theologically, we need to understand what was going on. You got to get this in your mind. Jesus, when he was asked, who are you? He reaches back 1,500 years to a story that is surrounded by a man named Moses. Anybody remember Moses? You remember the story of the burning bush? Anybody in the room? You know, talking about. So Moses is doing, like, he's a shepherd and he's like outside of Egypt at this point. He's like doing like the shepherd thing. I'm not sure what shepherds do, but he's doing that. And he's like, one day he's out in the wilderness and it says up on this kind of side of the mountain, just off in the distance, it says that he sees a bush burning. Sees a bush burning, which is not too uncommon in the desert, I imagine, right? And, and so he notices that this bush is burning, but it never burns out. It keeps burning and burning and burning and burning and burning. And so eventually Moses is like, well, that bush is burning and burning and burning and burning. It never burns out. So he goes and he finds out about this bush. And he goes and he travels up to this bush and he's watching all the way. And it's burning and it's burning and it's burning. And he finally gets there and he's like, wow, this bush is burning and burning and burning. It's not burning out. This is crazy. I've never seen this before. How is this bush burning and burning and burning and never burning out? Because as everybody in this room knows, that eventually a bush, a little bush, is eventually consumed and it no longer burns. Right? And so this bush just keeps flaming and flaming and flaming and flaming and flaming and flaming. And finally, God gets his attention. And you see, what, just like in Jesus' day, right? God does things to enter into this world in a supernatural way sometimes in order to get our attention. And this gets Moses' attention. And he's like, why is this bush burning? And God speaks to Moses. and says, Moses, I got an assignment for you. I want you to go back into Egypt, the land that you just left, the land that you just fled from, and I want you to go and to lead my people out of slavery. I want you to go to the Pharaoh, go to the king, the most powerful man in the world, and I want you to tell him to give all of the slaves to you. Moses was like, God, that is a really good idea, but it's not going to work, right? Mo Moses thinks this is a terrible idea, right? But the bush is burning and burning. And when the bush burns and burns and burns and never lets up, you kind of get your attention. And he's like, are you not noticing the bush burning here? If I can make this bush burn, I can take care of you in Egypt and I can take care of whatever else I tell you to do. So it's interesting. Moses eventually goes, all right, 
I guess I'll go to Egypt. And so he turns and he starts to walk away and then he goes, God, I got another problem. And he comes back and he's like, so when I go to Egypt and I'm talking to the man and I'm talking to Pharaoh and and I tell him, you know, you, you got to give up all these people to me. It's like a million people. I mean, it's a big deal, God. And he goes, what should I tell them about who you are? What if they ask me, who sent you? What do I say? <laughs> and God's answer, it's amazing. He says, tell them I am sends you. I am the creator, I am the sustainer, I am the redeemer, I am the hope of all mankind, I am the savior of all, I am, I am. And Moses says, that's good enough for me. And then Jesus, now fast forward 1,500 years to Jesus. He's standing in front of these guys and they go, who do you say I am? Or who, do you, who are you? And you know what Jesus says? <laughs> Jesus reaches back and he uses the exact same expression that God himself used when speaking to Moses. The exact one. He broke all four command, first four commandments all at the same time. And Jesus says, I am. I am the creator, the sustainer. I am the all-powerful one. I am the God of the universe. I am the redeemer and the savior of all mankind. I am. And with that, he was claiming to be God. They pick up stones in order to try to kill him again. Now let me just tell you, they did not kill Jesus be, because Jesus taught us to do nice things. They did not kill Jesus because he told really cool, clever little stories we call parables. They killed Jesus Humanity killed Jesus because Jesus made a very controversial claim saying that he was God made flesh. And the question then is the same question today is what are we going to do about Jesus? Now, um, there was a man once named C.S. Lewis. He's dead now, but I really like dead people. They write incredible things. And C.S. Lewis was at one time when he was at the height of his fame was through the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. And um, he went from being the world's most, uh, aftermost atheist on the entire planet. He, he was like the, leading the academic charge against Christianity in the world. But later in his life, he became a follower of Jesus. Something shifted. And he, and he became a Christian. And as he grew in his faith, eventually, uh, near the end of his life, he became uh, one of the world's, if not the world's most foremost defender of the Christian faith before his death. And, and he writes a very uh, telling line after he was trying to figure out who Jesus was for himself. He says this, after all my years of study, now finally looking and learning about Jesus himself, he says, I have made a conclusion that Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic, or he is Lord. Or he is Lord. And then he writes these words. Listen to this. This is so incredibly powerful. This is what he writes. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not have been a great moral teacher. 
hear it? It says, a man who said what Jesus said and taught what Jesus taught would not be just a great moral teacher. No, no. He would have either been a lunatic on a level of a man who says he is a poached egg, right? He says the guy's crazy or, or else he would be the devil of hell himself. He goes, you must make a choice. Either this man was or is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. And you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great, uh, his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend And the question remains for you and for me. Is he a liar? Is he just a crazed lunatic? Or is he the Lord who is worth following? Who is worth bending your knee to? Is he worth coming after with all of your heart, soul, and mind? You have to decide. You have to decide. So Father, we come before you and just with humility, I ask that you would speak to everyone in this room. Uh, God, I've wrestled through this for a lot of years and I've made my decision. To me, you are the son of God. You are worth me bending my knee to and following. And I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters in this room, God, that you would speak into their hearts and minds and God, if there are those uh, in this room that doubt, I pray that you would, you would just gently uh, call them and reveal yourself to them. God, maybe they would begin to ask questions. Maybe they would open their heart a little bit to you. And for God, for those of us who, uh, who maybe are a little further along, but we don't live like you're worth following, I pray that you would change that about us. Help us to follow you completely. In Jesus' name. We say, amen. Amen? Okay. Hey, thank you guys so much for being so willing to listen and attentive. And I hope that you were challenged tonight. My hope is, is that if you aren't sure about this whole Jesus thing, that you would be willing to ask some, some questions and go a little further. Matter of fact, if you want to talk with somebody or pray with somebody up to my left, um, I'll have some friends up here who would just love to connect with you. Um, all right. Hey, don't forget about the open house next Sunday. We're going to love for you. We need you guys to come and we'd love for you to invite a friend. All right. God bless you guys.